if you got your Bibles, why don't you kick them open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As I mentioned to you, we're starting this new series, How to Win a War, from Ephesians 6. And of course, um, I want to talk to you today about the reality of the war that you and I face every day. It's not the one in your house. It's not the one with your spouse. It's not the one with your kids. It's not the one on 95 when you're in traffic. You know, it's not the whether the people that with masks or not masks. It's not that battle. It's not uh, Russia or Iran or the politicians. It's none of those things. It is truly a, a war that we face in the spiritual realm that we really don't see. You know, it's something that you and I can't always grasp because uh, we don't see it. And yet Paul was led by God to actually write about it in a section of scripture dedicating for you and I to understand that you're in a battle and that we have to put on armor or battle war garments every day to face it. Interesting, right? So check it out with me. It's Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read this area of scripture and so we can look at who this enemy is and how we can armor up for this battle. So of Ephesians 6, uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. Ephesians 6 verse 10. It says this, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may be, open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Hey, that is a powerful area of scripture that sometimes we just don't get. We don't understand. We may not, we look at it and we go, wait a second, what is this? What did he talk about? He's talking about uh, a spiritual battle, the wiles of the devil, the wiles. What's the wiles? That's like wily e. coyote. What is that? You know, it's the strategies of the enemy. And what, what, what about you? principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness? Yes. You see, there is a spiritual realm that you and I can't see. And there's this battle that is taking place. And we're in a war every day. And guess what? The enemy of God, he would like you to fail. He wants me to fail as a Christian. And so his strategy is to take you and I down. His strategy is to make us look like 
really lame Christians. His strategy is to make us fail. His strategy is to help us to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. His strategy is to get you to divorce your wife or your husband. His strategy is to get you to quit your job in anger or in emotions or yell at people and, and give out you know, your pride, let your pride go. Why? Because we are the church and we represent Jesus. And you see, he wants us to fail and falter because Jesus has already had the victory over him. And what we get to do is we get to represent him in everything that there is in every day. So here's this picture. You see, we actually are, you know, as C.S. Lewis put it, we're behind enemy lines. It's this quote. I love it from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. You probably know who that author is. But he said this. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I mean, it sounds like we're on a secret mission behind enemy lines. Are you ready to gear up and get ready? Because God has you in what C.S. Lewis said, hey man, you're, you're in this enemy-occupied territory. What, what are you talking about? Well, remember the Bible talks about how we're sojourners. We're, we're really just foreigners in this land. Why? Because heaven is our home. Man, as Christians, that's our future. That's, that's our goal. That's where we're going. This earth is a vapor. This life is a vapor compared to eternity. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And, and we have to look and we have to... That's why Paul reminded people, hey man, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because this isn't it. Heaven is ahead. That's where the kingdom of God is. It's, this is not going to be it here. And so he is challenging you and I. Paul is saying, hey, every day you're going to be in a battle because the enemy wants to take you down. And so we get to look at this as men. I'm in this battleground. Now, if you're a new Christian, uh, maybe you're going, wait a second. You mean Christianity is not a playground? It's a battleground? <laughs> yes, it's a war. It's not a, it's not a playground. It's definitely not like everything's fluff enough and it's all nice. No, no, no. It is a battleground. In fact, I think here's what will happen. Um, as you begin to realize that you're fighting battles against the enemy as he kind of comes against you, it's actually really good because it means you're growing in your faith. It means that you are actually actually doing things right because the enemy, uh, as, as Charles Spurgeon once said, he's not going to kick a dead horse. And so, uh, in fact, we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. And that, what, that is why Jesus died for you and I, so that we could be living examples of Christ, that we would walk and influence this world, that we would go out and make an impact for Jesus, that we would not let this world rob us or deplete us or do what the enemy wants to do. You know, Jesus said, hey, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Are we living an abundant life? You know, right now in the midst of everything that's going on, you kind of look and you go, wait a second. Uh, uh, what is happening in our world? Are we living an abundant life as Christians? You know, they're telling churches to close. They're telling people not to sing in church. They're telling churches not to gather. And yet the Bible tells us, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. And so, wait, 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 wait. 
Oh yeah, we have to be careful because we know the enemy wants to disrupt the church. Do you understand that uh, we have this opportunity in our lives to gather together to say, hey, you know what? What's so great about gathering together? Well, it's wonderful that we can do the online thing, but there's nothing better than us gathering together, is there? Because I can look you in the eye, you can look me in the guy and go, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Really? No, really, how's it going? I can see if you're despondent and say, hey, can I pray for you? You can see if I'm discouraged and say, hey, can I pray for you, Greg? What's happening in your life? And, and we can give each other hugs. We can give each other high fives. We can give each other elbow touch, whatever it may be. But we can see each other and then we can worship together. There's something powerful about the hope that that brings people. Do you know that in our world right now, hope has been ripped off? Think about it. Schools have been closed. Sports have been changed. You know, there's no fans at pro games anymore. They're going to cancel a lot of the college football or all these. I feel horrible for all these athletes in college that are getting their whole season. That was their hope. That's what they go. That's what they live for, man. They're, they're competitors. They're, they're charging it. They're going for it. They're working out. They're working hard. They're doing all these things. And now, man, a part of their life has been ripped off, man. And, and that is why we have this opportunity as Christians to look on and go, wait, wait, so you've closed down churches. Well, no wonder people are kind of hopeless and running around going, I don't know what else to do, but create chaos. And it, because, man, the place of hope is us. The place of hope is a, is a church where we gather together. And yes, we are not the building for sure. But when we gather together, there is something special about that hope that gets brought out. And if somebody is looking for hope, they're looking for peace, they're looking for answers. We have the answers, you guys. We have the answers. It's Jesus. He is the ultimate answer. He's, he's already had the victory. He's already beaten Satan. He's already won this victory. And what we can't do is get caught up in that depression or discouragement or downcast that is happening so much in our world right now. You know, I was reading an article the other day how, man, not only is our people, young people between 18 and 24, um, there are more prescription meds taken for depression right now. It's like doubled, more than doubled in the last year during this time than it was a year ago. And, and why is that? Well, because they've been shut off from their friends, they've been shut off from school, they've been shut off from hanging out, they've been shut off from doing the hopeful things in their life, sports, whatever it may be. And you see, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So what do we got to do, church? We got to pray. We got to put on our armor every day. We got to make sure that we are the representation of Jesus, no matter if we're still living in this COVID crazy kind of time where it's like, all right, man, I'm, 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 I have to, I have to still, I want to go out to work. I want to go outside. I want to, I want to be able to encourage somebody. What could God do with your life to encourage somebody this week? You know, who, what could happen if we could just encourage people, right? And so we have to remember. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? And I know that, man, it's like, all right, well, what, what about, though? I mean, Greg, are you saying that we shouldn't be concerned about COVID? Or No, I think, yeah, you, we have to be concerned according to the data, right? I mean, yes, cases have gone up, but actually, I think it's a 0.004% chance of catching it where you die. And where you're actually, that's the death rate. So that's like 
point something percent are actually going to be okay. And so uh, uh, is, the, is the hysteria worth that kind of reaction that is going on? I mean, are we really, are we looking at this from a perspective of, well, Lord, I want to walk in faith. I want to trust you. Because remember, the Bible talks about in Psalm 139, you guys know this, uh, it says that God has numbered our days and they're actually written in a book. So nothing's going to take you to heaven before God's numbered your days. I hope you know that. That's the faith and the trust that we have to have. We have to know that, hey, you know, no matter what, God has my days numbered for me. And I'm going to walk them out no matter how. And here's the key, that you and I would walk them out. It's like that last song we just sang, right? It's all about that Jesus has the victory and that we would give him glory, that we would actually walk out each day giving glory to God, that we would actually live out. If you have a day left or 10 days left or a thousand days left, whatever, a million days left, I don't know how old you are, but here's the idea, that we would walk those out to glorify God. That's our opportunity. That's what you and I have to do, that we would not let the enemy rip us off and we would not let him get into our head or our mind because, man, that's what he wants to do. So check it out. I love this verse. It's verse 10. It says this, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So you know what? Here's what you and I got to do. We got to rely on the strength from Jesus, the victor. He's already won. He's already defeated Satan. It's, it, listen to this verse. It's Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 2. It's 14 and 15. I'm going to start in 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So in other words, we're all sinners. We are dead in our sin because sin separates us from a holy God. And, he, and yet God still loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place and my place. And he gives us this opportunity to w forgive you of all your sins. Don't you love that? No matter what's gone on in your life, he forgives you of all your sins. Now he says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Don't you love that? He, he took out all that, the law that, it, you know, you got to do this. You got to, oh, you got to be perfect. I got to, all these things that you got to do, 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 do. No, no, no. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. There is nothing else that you and I have to do other than trust him as our savior for the, the sins that we've, committed, that we would ask him, his death would be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. His resurrection would give me that promise of eternal life. But then check out what he says. He not only nailed to the cross, having, and this is verse 15, you ready? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He so what, what, wait, wait, what's he saying? Remember Paul talks about principalities and powers? Yeah, here he is saying this. He's saying, hey, having disarmed the principalities and powers. See, Jesus already had the victory at the cross when he died and then he rose again. You see, when he rose again three days later, I think all of the demons shook, man. That must have been like, wait, what is going on? The stone is empty. The stone got turned away. The, the tomb is empty. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Yeah, you see, we'll go through battles, but Jesus has already won. We're going to go through warfare, but he's already won. But we're going to be in a war every day because the enemy 
doesn't like the fact that you call yourself a follower of Christ. And he doesn't want you to represent Jesus. He doesn't want you to bring hope to anybody out there. He doesn't want you to bring peace to anybody out there. He doesn't want you to bring any type of love or encouragement or anything because once you start doing that, well, hey, that's not good. That's hope. I don't want hope to fill their heart, man. I want to keep them suppressed. Let's, I mean, he loves the fact that churches can't meet because, man, there's no place for a beacon of hope. There's no place for a lighthouse. There's no place for a, a beacon of truth that you can go to, right? And here is this opportunity. One day, though, we're going to go to heaven forever and we will bring glory to him until that day. So we want to, you guys, rely on his strength. Check out what happens, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So first, I'm going to take that in a section. Okay, put on the whole armor of God. So here's a thought. Every piece of your battle armor matters. It's the whole armor. He repeats this again later on. And we'll go through that in the weeks to come. But he, he's saying, don't miss out on a piece. You know, don't leave something out. Don't, don't miss out on, you know, putting on that uh, belt of truth and having the assurance of the righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and the word of God and prayer. Uh, you know, uh, because here's the idea. If Satan sees a chink in your armor, if he sees an opening, he's going to take it. He's going to try to figure out a way to bring you down. He's going to try to figure out a way to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to bring you down. He wants to cause you to be corrupted. Now, it's not just him, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second. It's all the, the angels that got thrown out of heaven with them, and they're demons now. And those are, yes, I know, wait, is this sounds like a horror movie. Are you kidding me? Is this spiritual or is this uh, sci-fi? No, this is truth that we don't see. And yet God wants you and I to recognize there's a spiritual warfare going on, man. There's a war every day. And so here's the idea. You and I can't miss out on putting a piece. You know, when I was a, a high schooler, I didn't play in college, but I played high school football. I grew up from young age. I was playing football. And then I got into high school. I was playing football. And I loved, I loved, loved tackle football. And not, to, excuse me for all my English uh, soccer friends. And so uh, not that football, but uh, uh, American football. And so um, I never, you know, you would go out to the field and play uh, without my helmet or without my shoulder pads or without uh, even my, my hip pads or my, my uh, thigh pads or my knee pads because I didn't want to get hurt because it would hurt. If I didn't have my shoulder pads or I didn't have my helmet on and I went out there, my coach would be like, what are you doing? Are you nuts? You're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to go and tackle somebody and you're going you're gonna to get, or they're going to tackle you and you're going to get thrown down the ground. Your head's going to be exposed. You're going to get hurt. They're going to come after you because they'll know you have a weakness. So you got to put the armor on every day, gang. We can't let it ride. We can't say, oh, I don't need to do that today. I don't need to, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be all right. No, no, no. Every day. You got to put on the whole armor of God. That means we get out of bed, we go, Lord, I'm going to the war. I'm going to battle. I got to be ready. Lord, help me to be ready. And you begin to go through those pieces and put on your armor and be ready for what God wants to do because the enemy wants to take you down. Because you know how it is, right? You could read something. You have like this great morning devotion. You're like, oh man, that was like, I felt like the Shekinah glory of God was in my room. It was all lit up. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Then you get on 95. Somebody cuts you off. You're like, what are you doing? And you want to chase them down and start, you start riding like a NASCAR driver behind them like you're 
you're drafting him or something like you're gonna you're gonna uh, now that's you guys I wouldn't do that you know I don't know and so uh, but you you know we can get our pride can rise up it's amazing but you know that's where we have to go back and we have to kind of look at this and it says for the put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil here's the idea the strategies of the devil okay and this is our next thought that Satan has a strategy and he's got a team and that's what Paul is referring to. It's not like some made up, you know, here he is with horns and a red suit and he's got a tail out there like a pitchfork and, you know, oh my goodness, there he is. You know, he's like, oh, oh don't get, stay away from him. No, he works very subtly. He's got a strategy, man. He's, he's no dummy. But here's, here's what I want you to know so that you understand. Like, who are we dealing with? Because anytime you play a team in a sport, you want to know, like, Who's the opponent? What's their weakness? What's their strength? Uh, where, what do they do? What's their habits? How do they work? You know? And so what we're going to do is take a look. You, know, you can go back and you can study about it. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 talks about how Satan was thrown out of heaven. Revelation talks about it too in Revelation 12. But um, you know, he got, basically, he, Satan is uh, a created being. He's an angel. And, and who, what he is was an angel with a lot of power, but Michael the archangel has a lot of power too, I'd say on the same kind of zone. But here's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to rise up against God. He wanted to be as big as God. He wanted to be better than God. He wanted to, ha he had that I problem, you know, I, 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 I want that, I am this, I am that. And so it was all about himself, full of pride. So God cast him out of heaven with a third of the angels. Unfortunately, a third went with him, but fortunately it was only a third because that means two-thirds are in the Lord's army, <laughs> which is better odds, right? And we've already won the victory. But here's, here's what it says. Listen, it, it talks about throughout Scripture what Satan's all about, right? And obviously, this word, uh, uh, as you look at it, devil, it actually means accuser. Did you know that? It means accuser. And so what does that mean? Well, the devil means accuser because he accuses God's people day and night. Do you, do you know that? It's Revelation. Check it out. This is what he says as, uh, you know, after he got thrown out, uh, it, it's that opportunity. It says in verse 10, that I heard a loud voice in heaven, uh, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Yeah, he got... He, got, he accuses you and me before God every day. Oh, that guy, he's, he's not really that great of a pastor, that Greg. He's not really that great of a Christian. He's not really, he's, a, he's got stuff. If you let me dial into him, man, I'll take him out. Remember what he did to Job, right? You know, he went before God and said, oh, yeah, consider, consider Job, devil. Well, you know, you let, me, you let me take away stuff from him. He'll curse you and, you know, okay, go ahead. And, he, and of course, uh, God allowed all those things and God allowed Job to be really pummeled. I mean, he got lost his, his, his farm. He lost his animals. He lost his kids. He lost all these things. And then the devil went after his physical being and then he... He had that excruciating pain and all these problems. And yet through it all, oh, the Lord, the Lord blesseth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, it's like 
whatever. I can't just bless the Lord when he gives to me. I got to bless him when he takes away. It's hard to do. Let's be honest. I mean, you look at Job and you're like, wait, I don't know if I could do that. But here's the, here's the thought. When you look at what the enemy is, he's an accuser. He's a liar. He's a tempter. He's opposed to God. He's a murderer. He's all those things. He wants to accuse you. He wants, he's going to lie. He's going to tempt. He's going to uh, be opposed to God. And, and he's not equal with God. I hope you know that. Satan's not equal, equal with God. He's a created being of God. So he, he's on a lesser plane. He's not even equal with Jesus. Do you understand? Some people say, oh, he's the brother of Jesus. No, he's not. That's not, that's not scriptural. That's not truth. No, our enemy is not invincible. In fact, Jesus has already defeated him as we just read in Colossians, right? But he's an accuser, man. He's going to accuse us day and night. But then he's also a tempter. You know, remember when Jesus was in the wilderness? What happened? The devil came to him and tempted him. And it's, it's, it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Check it out what he says. It says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And of course, Jesus answered him with Scripture. He answered him with the truth of God's word. He didn't answer and go, oh, well, okay, I can make it into bread. I'll have some sourdough. Boom. He didn't do that, man. He said, no, I, I live on every, every word of the Lord. It's, it's, it, it's, it, that is, here is what you and I have to remember, that he is going to try to tempt us. He's going to try to get us to falter and fail, go from our flesh, go for our flesh instead of our spirit. He's also the father of all lies and a murderer. You know, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says this. Jesus said this, You belong to your father, the devil, who, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yeah. If you ever lie, you want to know where it's coming from, it's coming straight from Satan. That's what he does. He's the father of all lies. And he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. Peter writes, right? He's trying to take you and I down. I mean, it's described, he's described as an angel of light, a serpent or a snake. He, he's got strategies. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. So uh, uh, what does he do? What's his strategy with his demon force well number one he wants to attack our flesh because that's that part of us right that that part that sort of unregenerated part of us that's like oh man i'm still a little weak there you know what's that thing that you still hold on to from your old life right is it old girlfriend is it old pictures is it old drugs is it you know what what is it that you can't seem to let go of right I'm going to tell you right now, the enemy's going to attack you right there because that's that part of your flesh where you're weak. And he wants you to go back to that. And what will happen is you go back to that, you'll feel guilty, so guilty, he'll condemn you. And then you'll get further and further and further away from God. And you'll feel like God would never, ever forgive you again. And that's when he feels like he's won. He finds a chink in your armor, man. He finds that spot. He attacks our flesh. He, he gets you at your weakest point. He tries to arouse your fleshly lust. He's going to tempt you with those things that are going to get you those places. You know, in the, in the book of 1 John, it's kind of his playbook. Satan's playbook is, it's a three-play playbook, right? In 1 John 
And it says this in, in chapter 2. It says, For all that is in the world, this is verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Yeah, you see, he's trying to get you and I to avoid doing God's will in our life. And doing God's will would be being led by God's Spirit. And if he can get you off track of doing God's will by, by following the Spirit, well, then you're going to follow the flesh. You're going to follow the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the, lust, and the pride of life. And when we have pride or when we have lust, I mean, we do all these things, man. He, we end up faltering and failing, and then he gets you off. He gets you off, and, and that's the whole thing. It, it, it's like you do the will of God. It, it's like, oh, man, I'm right where God wants me to be. But once you start faltering, yes, the great thing is God has grace for you, and he's willing to forgive you, and he's willing to pick you back up and help you. But so many times when we mess up, here's what happens. We feel like God would never forgive us because the enemy continues to remind us of those sins. Remember, he's accusing you daily before God, day and night. And at the same time, he's trying to make sure that you and I don't get up on our feet and be strong and walk in the Spirit. You know, it, it, he also, he's going to not only do that, but he's going to attack our minds. So that flesh part of us, we need to let that old crucified flesh, the old man, we need to let it stay buried, okay? You remember when you got baptized and it was, for me, it's, I call it, it's like a happy memorial service, you know, we're kind of saying goodbye to the old man, you rise up to walk after the newness of life. You got to let the old man stay buried. Don't let him creep back up because that's how the enemy's going to get. But he also will attack your mind and he'll do it with lies like he did with Eve. Remember in the garden? And he's done with so many people. Oh, did God say this? Did God, did God really say this? You surely not die. You remember that in the book of Genesis, right? And, and uh, God does not want you to eat of the fruit. He knows it'll make you as wise as God. It's like, wait a second. You're right. He appeals to her flesh. He appeals to the pride. Wait, I'm going to be as smart as God? Really? What? He knows. Like, if I can get them to walk in the flesh, man, they'll not walk in the Spirit. If I can get them to be at that place. And check out in this verse. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what he said. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, it, it, it's that, man, you know what? I, I don't want to... I don't want to let the enemy rip me off because he's going to kind of change my mind. I'll, I'll read it to you in a different version so you understand it even better. But here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 3. Okay. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's crafty, man. He got her. It's like, oh man, did God really say that? I mean, really? Isn't that how he works, man? He's, it's like, oh, wait, wait. wait. Did, do you really think that 
do you really think you got, I mean, you have to be at church? I mean, come on, man. Do you really think that you got to, that verse in the Bible really means anything? You got to assemble together like it's important, like it's going to really make a difference? I mean, do you really think that you really can't do what you used to do? Do you really think you can't go out and party? I mean, do you really think, I mean, come on, man, really? Do you think that's really going to bother you? Do you think it's going to change you? You see, he's trying to seduce you with those lies. He's going to get your mind. And that's the whole thing. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. It's like he, he gets, he, it's, it's not that he's in your thoughts or in your head, but he brings people around you to say something to you that begins to, oh man, what? Wait a second, let me question that, or I'll read that, or I'll watch that, or hey, whatever it may be, let me go ahead. And, uh, and then it's not only that, but you know, you and I, we, we hear that part and we say, all right, wait, I've got that opportunity to change. I got this opportunity to do something different. But, you know, Proverbs says it this way, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is, right? So as you think you are, it, it, and, you know, it, psychologists even say, hey, uh, or a doctor would say, you are what you eat, and psychologists say, you are what you think. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, you are going to become that, but there's something about that tremendous power of your mind and how the enemy would like your mind to be dissuade from the things of God and who he is and his power and his ability and his strength and his hope, his peace, his love, his joy, his everything that he has for you and I. And remember Isaiah 26.3, right? It's, it's, how does he keep us in perfect peace? By that steadfast mind. By, uh, if we have our mind on him, we will have that perfect peace because we trust in Him. Yeah, it's that opportunity for you and I to go, wait, i got to keep my mind on the Lord because if I don't, I'm not going to be at peace and the enemy's going to have victory and he's going to rip me off and I'm going to get curtailed in one way or the other. He's going to throw those lies at me. He'll throw the fears at us. I mean, we're in the midst of a fear-filled world right now. I mean, people are full of fear. And, and, and a lot of it is, uh, man, okay, well, we, we want to be careful. But at the same time, uh, how rational is it? Uh, is it? Am I trusting God in the midst of this? Am I really looking at the data and saying, well, wait a second. Is this really as bad as what I thought? I mean, come on, I, 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 we have to begin to ask ourselves, Lord, what do you want? What's your will for my life? Let me not be led by anyone but you in my life and help me to walk in your ways. You know, of course, he'll not only attack that, but he attacks the body. We saw that with Job. We saw it in, you know, demon-possessed boy in the Bible or the person that was mute. And, uh, and, and you know, th those are hard things. You know, you go, wow, that the enemy can actually infiltrate somebody and, and capture them and keep them in bondage. And at the same time, as a Christian, uh, listen, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I'm never going to be possessed by the enemy, okay? Satan has no power over my life because I have Jesus Christ in me. But he can come against me. He can certainly... Now remember, everything's Father Filter, but he can, he can come and try to attack. It could be some sort of physical attack, whatever it may be. But here's what we have to think about. Why would he attack the physical? Remember, you are the mouth, 
the hands and the feet of Jesus. If he can stop you from functioning, man, he's going to keep you from spreading hope, spreading peace, spreading love, spreading the good news of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? So if he can get you down, man, he's going to do it. And yet, in the midst of our trial, that's when I believe we have to rise up and say, Lord, nothing, I'm going to trust you. Who do we rely on our strength for? The one who's already had the victory, Jesus. That's who we got to rely our strength on. And we can't let that do. So what do we got to do? Here, here's four R's for you, and, and you can write these down. We got to recognize the enemy. Well, we've already given you the picture, but you got to recognize daily, like, wow, this, this could be the enemy. Now, physical stuff, listen, man, you could actually do stuff uh, uh, in my, my own testimony is a, is a certain uh, fact of that. You know, you do something and you have a consequence for your sin, which is a physical consequence. But you know what? God can still use you even in the midst of that consequence. But, but at the same time, it could be just the, that's the way it goes. You know, you have cancer and uh, it's something that pops up in your body and it's like, we don't even know. Where does that come from? It's, it's not that God's disciplining. It's just this is part of, unfortunately, our fallen world, right? And we don't know why. We don't know all the answers. And, and yet, at the same time, it could be that the enemy is attacking. So we recognize, Lord, is this you? That, are you trying to teach me something? Is this the enemy coming against me? I'm not blaming everything on the enemy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but at the same time, the lies that come, the things that maybe pu start pushing your buttons. You know what I picture? You know what I picture him like? He's like a little bully that keeps... You ever have a bully like push, get, put his finger on you and go, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? That's when you know. When it keeps coming after you, it's like, wow, this is not normal. Like, it's hitting my, like, I keep thinking about this. I keep bo being bothered by this. Why is that? Why can't I give this and surrender it over to God? Because I believe the enemy has gotten to a place where he's pushing your button so hard that you are not allowing the will of God to be the one that transforms your life. And so we're going to talk about that in a second. But we got to recognize the enemy. Then we've got to resist the devil. You remember what James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? Resist him. In other words, man, just just resist. Like, no way, man. I'm not letting that happen. Boom. I'm, I'm fighting that off. And then rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You got to rely upon that power of Jesus in your life. The strength of the Holy Spirit. Jesus resides in me. His Spirit resides in me. I'm going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to get ready for the next attack. <laughs> hate to tell you, but every day is an opportunity. I'm not saying that it's, it's all like, oh my goodness, this is like, are you crazy? This is a spiritual attack. But there's a war. We're in a war. That's the bottom line we don't recognize it though because we think oh man it's that person they did that it's this thing it's this whatever hey our battle's not against flesh and blood the enemy's trying to get you off kilter because he wants you to be an awful witness for christ he wants you to be a lame witness he wants you to be full of fear he wants you to be full of full of hatred he wants you to be full of anger he wants you to be full of unrest and and no peace because what's the fruit of the spirit Oh, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. If he can get you off that, people go, it's just one of those other Christians, right? That's one of those Christians that, you know, they say they're a Christian, they don't really act like a Christian. Hey, gang, we got to flip the script on that. We got to be Christians, not just on Sundays. We got to be Christians every day. It's a follower of Jesus. We carry the name of Jesus. We got to do it whenever and however we can.
So here is this opportunity for us. It's Romans 12.1. If you turn in your Bibles there, Romans 12.1. Here's uh, that verse which is very familiar, but I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, share it with you again so that you'd be reminded, hey, what do I got to do? Uh, here's the idea. As the enemy comes at you, He's, it says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, this is Paul again writing, right? By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yeah, it, it's interesting. That word present in present your bodies as a living sacrifice or a holy uh, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Present it, it carries the meaning of once and all for surrender. It's like I'm I'm surrendering it all. I'm not gonna surrender it and take it back. <laughs> it's a once and all. Lord, I'm surrendering. So Paul's saying, Hey, go ahead and surrender everything to the Lord. It, go ahead and surrender your body as a living sacrifice because your life here is however many days you got. And God wants you to bring glory to Him in this life. He wants you and I to bring glory to His name with whatever amount of days that we have. We have this opportunity to surrender to Him. And so we surrender. So you wake up in the morning and go, Lord, here's my life. I got to do it every day. I don't know about you. I got to start surrendering every day, right? Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you today because I, I, don't, I don't want this enemy to come at me. I don't want all this stuff to be happening. I, I want to surrender my life to you. And, and so we got to get up and, man, and rejoice in the victory that Jesus has given us. But at the same time, we're looking and we're saying, all right, Lord, here you go. I, I don't want to be trans, uh, transformed by anything other than the renewing of our mind. How do I get my mind renewed? You got to get into the Word of God. You got to actually let it soak into your life. You got to let it fuel you. So when the enemy does attack, you've already been fueled with the things of the strength of the Lord and the Holy Spirit will speak and he will say, oh man, you can't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't act like that. Don't push that button back. Yeah, I know he's poking at you, but don't do it. Because you will have God really, truly close to you. As you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. So we have to... Be at that place where we realize this battle, and I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 6, if you can go back there with me. Ephesians chapter 6, as we kind of close out here. Here's what he says. Remember, you've got to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a crazy thought, right? What? I'm not wrestling against my boss or that spouse or my kids or my stepkids or the, the, the neighbors or the, the problems on 95. I'm not, and I'm not saying those people are demon-possessed. I'm saying that, man, the enemy is out there trying to get you off your game. Do you understand? It's not about those people. It's about the enemy trying to get you to not walk in the spirit but walk in the flesh so you don't represent Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. Don't represent him. That's all I'm looking for. 
Like, don't, don't, don't really have fueled faith. Don't have this courage in your heart, man. Keep walking in fear. Keep walking in a way that, man, the world would say, well, what's the difference? But then he says, you know, got to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You got to do all to stand. We got to stand in the evil day. We're in the evil day. We got to stand. How do we stand? You got to rely upon Jesus. You got to know that he's coming. You got to know that he's for you and not against you. You know, there's this great uh, illustration of Napoleon Bonaparte. You know, the French general, right? Incredible genius this guy was actually at strategy and how he moved armies and did his uh, leadership. You know, many people give it a, a hard time like, oh my goodness, he was he had a short man's complex, they call it, right? But in actuality, the guy was just a really gifted leader. And so uh, what would happen was, it's been said in history books that um, as, as the uh, armies would be out there fighting and maybe he had a, a, a regiment over here that was suffering a, a battle loss and they were starting to lose and they're getting discouraged. He'd have one of his guys come back and say, hey, uh, General, um, this area right here, they'd be saying it in French, of course, this area right here, it's a very good. No, and, and so he said, hey, um, they, they are suffering and they're just, they're not doing good. And he goes, okay. He, he goes, Tell them, I want you to go back and tell them I'm on my way. That's what he would do. He'd say, tell them I'm on my way. He'd get on his horse and he'd ride to that spot in the front lines of the battlefield. He would ride there. Why? Because he wanted to bring encouragement to him. But you know what he would do? He would send messengers ahead of him. Tell them I'm on my way. So these messengers would arrive and say, Hey, General Bonaparte is on his way. He will be here within a day, or two days, or an hour, whatever. And, and each messenger would bring that hope. Do you know what would happen? In history books show it. These guys started to rise up in strength. They'd rise up like General Bonaparte's coming. Wow, let's go. Let's fight. Let's do whatever. And they would win those battles. Crazy, right? How about you and I? Are you excited that Jesus is coming back for us? Are you ready for him to come back for you? Are you ready for him to come in and get us? Like he's coming back. Man, we're living in the last days. You look at the sign of the times. This is it, man. I don't know how much time. I don't know. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows. I don't know. But here's what I know. You look at prophecy. You look at everything that's going on in our world. You see what's going on in Syria and Iran and Russia. And you realize, wow, there's a lot of things are coming together right now. Jesus is coming back. And I know people say, oh, he's been saying that for years. But you know, he is coming. But are you ready for him to come? And are you encouraged? Are you ready? Like, if he came tomorrow, would you be like, oh man, I'm so stoked. I got to share with that person or be out there and not be afraid of this or that. And I can go out there and be a living representation of Jesus before he comes and gets me, man. I want to win this battle. I want to win this last battle. You're in a war. He wants you to have victory because he's already got the victory and he wants us to be able to battle in power and in strength and he's given us that ability. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do, man. We got to trust him, pray to ask him to help us. And, and really truly for any of you who have never been, as we've talked about how the greatest battle we could have is our sin and it separates us from a holy God. And that Jesus is coming back for his church. And we don't know when that's going to be.
But I'm going to tell you right now, He loves you, whoever you may be. You may be a person, you may be between that 18-24 range and you're, you're discouraged, you're depressed. You thought about killing yourself. Can I tell you something? That God loves you. He cares about you so much. And He's got a purpose for your life. You, are, you have something in you that God can use to affect and impact somebody else. But you have to just come to know Him and forgiveness and have the hope of Christ in your heart. It all starts with you just recognizing that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Because that sin separates us from this holy God. And He wants you to have a relationship with Him. It all becomes part of that plan. All you have to do is say, that, that recognize Jesus as Lord. Recognize that He died for you on a cross. Recognize that He rose again. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to say, yeah, I want to be forgiven of my sins and I want to have Jesus in my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to have the hope of God. I want, to, I want Him to take over my life. I want to surrender my life to Him. If you're willing, man, He's got open arms for you. I don't care what you've done or what's happened in your life. And I can lead you in a prayer to help you along in that journey. It's just telling God basically what I believe that is probably already in your heart. So if you want to, just pray with me. Say this to the Lord. Say, Lord God, Thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Please forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and my trust in you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my friend. Jesus, thank you for dying and rising again and giving me the promise of eternal life. Thank you that you can help me win every war that's ahead.